Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, and welcome to this special podcast episode commemorating September the 11th, 2001. Today marks the 22nd anniversary of the attack. As we reflect on the events that occurred on that fateful day, forever etched in our minds as symbols of resilience, unity, and the enduring spirit of humanity, we can see that those memories represent the unwavering constancy of these emotions, and a spirit that transcends all boundaries. Through poetry, music, and song, we pay tribute to the lives lost, bravery displayed, and the sense of community that emerged from the tragedy. Join us on this poignant journey of remembrance, embracing hope and understanding as we move forward. My name is Andros. Just a little bit of my background. I am a volunteer firefighter for the last 17 years and a retired EMT for 24 years. I've been writing for the majority of my life. I remember 9-11 and everything, and I wanted to write something that had purpose to express hope and humanity. The way our country is today is very sad. I originally wrote a poem and flooded Facebook on it. And I wanted to find Satchfields and everything, and eventually I did find him. And he liked the poem, but he made a comment to Bear, and it was very hairy. And he said, I can probably do something better. Finally, one day, I get a text message, and here it is from Scott. He sent me his book, and it took me a month to read his book. And from that, I was inspired, and I wrote this poem. It is with honor and a privilege I present a call for humanity. It is unto amber light do we see. I am for you as you are for me. As we gaze into the sun above, a set of planes glide into an architectural marvel of the Twin Towers that once stood aside. Citizens are stunned in disbelief Overwhelmed with sheer terror. It's difficult to comprehend. People scatter. Pandora's box has been opened. The tin flowers lay in ruin. 
Human beings lay in tomb below as ominous shouts and cries for help is heard. Sounds of sirens begin to blare. A call for humanity is at their feet. As our tattered flags dance tall, we weave sightings of human remains as if they lay a piecemeal mixed with red ash only to be placed in black vinyl. Rarely the scorch financial paper as it floats on top of their heads. You may ask, where do you begin? The answer became clear, as if a flawless diamond, they begin their descent, searching for a victim of this 9-11. With our hands placed across our chest, we pledge our allegiance to our nation's citizens. For once was said, and to my fellow Americans, ask not what you can do for your country. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We serve our nation. For our canine partners, our golden retriever leads the way every step through mounds of red ash on peril terrain. For every scratch of his foot, every hint of human remains. Osteo finds the baby. Day becomes night as nights become months. Erected high above the debris, steel cables and pulleys are spread, sightings of bear being whisked far above our heads. So many have perished from our cowardly act. We will not yield to terror. As we walk into the shadows, let there be light. We fear no evil. As we weep for our fallen, yet so many remain in fight. As others are filled with a certain degree of carcinogen, we salute the FDNY 343 NYPD. Help us recover. Memories, time spent in leisure, frolicking in the waters of eastern shorelines, playing with the children, times of visiting the local deli. Oh, how Bear loved his roast beef. Let us celebrate man's best friend. For father and mother, honey, we pay our loving devotions. Your child now and forever lays with the FDNY. Let this day be a federal holiday. Let us invite the United Nations. Service to all so others may live. We will never forget. Thank you. Thank you, Bill Cote, also known as Anthros. Bill and Captain Scott Shields, they're two of the people who are instrumental in the planning of this program. I'd like Bill Cushing to share a poem. What would you like? Okay, Bill. Yeah. Please share a poem. You want me to share more? Um, I don't know what else to share. <laughs> but thank you, uh, thank you uh, for inviting me, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this. Um, okay, excuse me. That. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. Bill. Bill? 
Linda. Yes. Please share a poem. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. I actually have two. Uh, the first one um, was written. My husband was supposed to uh, fly out of Wichita, Seattle that day. And, uh, of course, everything got canceled. Uh, and I thought about it later, and I thought, oh, you know, what if? And I thought, yeah, I, 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 I can't even go there, but I kind of need to because I need to show respect and represent those women who did lose their husbands on that day. So I tried to find the words to do that, and this is what I came up with. It's called 9-11. In his luggage that did not complete the soar was a beautiful memory of having once flown to Holland, a more pleasant memory than the one which he will never bring home. The sky is silent but for the sound of the weeping clouds. Today, bars and taverns have turned into churches. Poets use terms like gone to eternal rest and found the big sleep. I also know this poet's song will now never be completely sung. I wonder what we will call this day in 100 years and if its potency will be diminished. And in all the days that follow this Tuesday, I will hear his voice in my head that voice all others have forgotten. I'll open the door and suddenly be out on windy Kansas plains, sighting all the other lonely people. I'll say this moment must not rule me, and sometimes that will be the truth. Thank you. That's the first one. The second one is dedicated to... um, Michael Benfonte Jr. and uh, John uh, Sequeira, who were two heroes of that day. They weren't firefighters. They were just men. It's called Batman Recalculating. As children, they did not know their mothers were grooming them to be Batman, giving them capes of compassion and utility belts of courage, teaching them to always rise above their problems to raise their grades, to raise their children, to look up, to reach for the stars, to reach for the pie in the sky. Today, the power of that high, high rise, once more luring them upward, turns deadly when the planes hit. Today, all they can do is descend. 90 minutes and 68 levels of stairs carrying a wheelchaired woman. They make it outside right before the towers fall. All the time going down, hearing their mother's voices, reminding them, do what is right, although your knees shake. Do what is right, although your arms tremble. Do all you can, even if it could take you into the ground. Thank you. Thank you. That was Linda Embler. And as we continue with this program, I think all of us would like you to work with us. This is a very emotional night. Things don't always happen like you want them to, especially in terms of technology. So please work (laughs) with us. Now, Bill Cushing. 
All right. Can I, am I coming through? Am I coming through? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. I got. Thank you. I, I just sent you an email apologizing. <laughs> I thought I was screwing up. Anyway, okay. Well, here's my single 9/11 piece, and it's the ending poem from a former life, which you know. And this is called Final Flight. I slept through those initial collisions, the twin explosions as steel and fuel met concrete and girder for the final collapse into rock and powder of two towers meant as monuments to the grandeur of their century. I saw it from a safe distance, not living through events except for my own recall. I can still note those retrieved the day, but the singular image I cannot shed the one that refuses to leave my head is that of those people, the 200 left who, facing the option of burning alive, knowing at that moment they were indeed dead, chose instead, like Icarus, to spread their arms in almost welcome embrace of the quarter-mile journey back to Earth. Thank you. Thank you, Spiel Cushing. Now we'll hear from Ellen Thea. Hi. Well, I live in Willow, Alaska, but um, uh, I was born in Manhattan, and I grew up in Queens till my mid-20s. But on 9-11, I was living in South Florida as a single mother with three kids. And this poem is almost uh, a verbatim stream of consciousness that poured out of me that day. Um, there's a recently, I'm talking recent, like two months ago, added uh, addendum, but you'll understand that when I get to the end. This is called Welcome to the Last Normal Day. So I was driving my son to school, only my son, because the baby, the baby, the baby, who's already 11, so old, wanted to stay home. She didn't feel well, she said, so I let her sleep, but the car was too quiet, so I asked my son if he wanted some music, and I turned on the radio to our favorite morning show, because their studio talk is always so crazy fun, and I heard Bo talk so serious, not like her, about some plane accident in New York, and before, before, before I could even take a breath, had time to breathe. The network broke in a live broadcast, and I heard some guy yelling, oh, my God, oh, my God, the people, the people, in another plane. And I thought, is it the anniversary of the Hindenburg? When did that happen? Puzzlement. And then we were at the middle school, and I don't remember if my son let me kiss him goodbye, because after all, he's five months and 30 days from 13, and this is his middle school after all. But I know I told him I loved him because I always do, because you never know what might happen. And I want the last thing my kids to hear from me is that I love them. And I drove up to Boca to get my big girl, my big girl, my big girl. She's only 18, so young, at her boyfriend's house, even though I don't like him. And George W. comes on the radio and talks about some suspected Middle Eastern terrorists. And I hadn't voted for him. And I wanted him to shut up because I didn't want to inflame anyone. Why jump to conclusions? Tim McVeigh sure was a Middle Eastern. And as I drove up 95, news radio broke in again because by now, of course, I was listening compulsively 
and reported that the Pentagon was on fire. And I thought, it's not Halloween yet. Why are they pulling Orson Welles for the world? What is going on? And I looked at all the other cars on the highway, and I wanted to scream through the windows at all the other single-occupant vehicle drivers. Did you hear what I just heard? Is your radio on, too? Maybe I was crazy hallucinating, but I never saw us all drive so careful on 95 as I did that morning. And I got to my daughter's boyfriend's house, and I knocked on the door loud, and she all sleepy-eyed and dazed because she just woke up and opened the door. And because I needed visuals bad, I said, quick, this nightmare. I said, turn on the TV. I couldn't. What was I thinking? I told her the two hours hit by planes, and the Pentagon was on fire. And then I said, this is not a dream. I'm really here. Turn on the TV. And we all three watched as the towers crumbled. And I asked her boyfriend how his citizenship was, and he said he wasn't sure. So I said boot camp or deportation and thought, of course, I could also end up with a son-in-law I don't like, too. And my daughter got in the car, and each time she tried to talk to me, I shushed her because the news kept coming too fast. And then they broke in with the Pennsylvania crash. Who knew later, till later, that the people had a Masada moment? And she began to cry, and I dropped off my daughter at my mom's and told her to take care of her grandma, who had been listening to the radio and reading the funnies and she heard about Pearl Harbor. And I drove to work to get a paycheck and to be to work after all today. And I worried about fun on the bank, so I very calmly cashed my check top at gas bank and went as if hurricane supply shopping and went home to the baby who was truly unfair and broke her innocence and went to pick up my son an hour early from school and when he asked why I said because I love you which was an irrational and illogical answer but which made total sense to me I called my cousin in New York his daughter 20 something was in the federal building the first plane hit and she was evacuated and walked for two hours over the bridge back home. And she watched as people made that final horrific, ghastly, and powerful, most important last decision of their lives, having the unique Thank you. Thank you, Ellen Thea. Now we'll hear a message from Captain Scott Shields because Animals are also involved. Canines. Okay, sorry about that. Thank you. Captain Scott Shields. Scott Shields. I was at the time... Chief of Marine for the New York City Parks Police, and I had a search dog named Bear. My very incredible search and rescue dog, Bear. <laughs> I led the first canine teams at the World Trade Center and arranged for the shuttle system around the gridlock on the West Side Highway, uh, saving our first responders the exhausting trip down that highway where we were losing people, not to the terrorists, but to heart attacks and heat prostration from how hot it was. That bear was the most decorated red dog in the United States. I wrote a book that Jane Goodall said was the best human-animal relationship story she had ever read. She's the only 
search dog from 9-11 that has a memorial at the FDNY Academy for what he did that day in finding the chief and the commissioner of FDNY, and they think the most victim. Who, at the World Trade Center, he found chief of department Peter Gancy, former chief of department William Sehan, who at the time was commissioner of the New York City Fire Department, and many victims of the World Trade Center. There. Passed away a year later. He had gotten a wound on his back the first night of 9-11, and it created a wound the size of a silver dollar, which did not heal for six months. I <laughs> to honor Bear on board the aircraft carrier Intrepid with Dr. Jane Goodall hosting that ceremony. 2004, I stood at the podium, podium near in tears in a voice trembling and filled with emotion, and I said the following words. Today, we honor those who come before us. It took me a year to write this poem, and I weighed each word carefully. You are an audience that would understand them best. This is for all who serve, so that others may live. The years of bear. They came to get Bear today, and what do you say about a hero that is your son and may have died because you took him for a walk in hell? The fire engines came, and they placed his remains lovingly inside. And fire engines and firemen will never have the same meaning they had before that warm September day. And what conversation do you have with yourself about the guilt you feel about that one more year he might have lived if you and he had not done your duty. And how fitting for a hero of the World Trade Center to be cremated. Should you have worried more about you and yours instead of them and theirs? And if the truth be known, maybe. But you and he never would have thought of yourselves first. It was not in his nature or yours. Remember how he would protect a little dog from a big one? Or let a girl dog bite him, or never start a fight, or how he never lost one, except the one that no one can ever win. And even then, how he fought against the darkness. My friend Arthur Freed said it best. Chief Peter Gansey and Father Judge must have told God that the thousands who perished on that warm September day could use a great dog to comfort them. And I shall never stroke a golden coat again without thinking of Bear and you. And thank you and Honey for giving us all the years of Bear. And that's it, Michael. New York State had a hero proclamation for him. And they declared Captain Shields and Bear Day in the state of New York. Honey was Bear's mom. I, I had his mom. He was born in my office under my desk. Captain Scott Shields. Uh, my son was working that week in uh, Maiden Lane. And uh, he came home with his, like with many of the young people, 
with his shirt wrapped around his head. And he took, I forget how many hours, he stayed in the building, Maiden Lane, but even making his way out took hours more. I was uh, on the Upper East Side driving to uh, a college in New Jersey, crossed the bridge roughly about the time that the towers were hit. When I reached the college, with a certainty, we understood that uh, that had happened. So I've tried a few, few poems. I've probably written 10 or a dozen poems. I don't like any of these poems. They all seem to fail. I have one here about suffering, but that one bothers me more than any other. So I'm not going to write that poem about suffering. I'm going to try this other one, uh, a little less uh, demanding. It's called, uh, you'll, you'll understand what the clarity of this poem gets to. Last the Last Conflagration. A driving collision into the tower. Then suddenly, the enormous growth of two balloons. Here are two shimmering spheres of fire, said the balloon man. All for you, little boy. And indeed, the little boy could not be suppressed. At every replay of the TV, the fiery balloons grow to a medium size. And within each is a spark. To see such spherical balls join the parallelograms of the tower. It is a terrible cosmic geography lesson. And now, children, we have this flaming ball of gasoline with what Extraordinary beauty, it burns and expands. And all the irrelevancies of human tragedy and death are refocused by the child's eye, which will not shut, which will not shut, as, I'm sorry, which will not shut. The cosmic fire show imposing its ghastly form, straight plane of building, an expanding circle of fire. Euclid had taught us about such fire, and Plato had confirmed him that all reality is mathematical, with examples admittedly less spectacular and would have been stunned and overwhelmed by the blackboard we had witnessed this morning. Though, of course, we have had several such blackboard interventions. The classic mushroom of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, rising forever in our imaginations, with a swimming beauty and a cold, sober understanding, almost defying our capacity to understand that all this beauty, yet contained within it, the horrifying insinuation 
of a quarter million people. And even more horrifying, and the even more horrifying dismissal of them as we turn spontaneously to applaud such mass death and the great victory it had brought us. Thank you. That was Bob Quatron sharing a remembrance of 9-11 from 2013, taped on September the 6th. Binod Dawadi, Kathmandu, Nepal, is the author of the book, The Power of Words. He holds a master's degree in English. He has worked on numerous anthologies and has been published in various magazines. His vision is to change society through knowledge, so he wants to provide enlightenment to people through his writing skills. The title of the poem is 9-11. This incident should have not happened. But why did it happen? That I also don't know. I want to wish the souls who leave the body and dies. I can't stop the destruction. I can't save the people. But from the voices of those people, I can speak here. Don't worry about our death. Everyone should die. We die in an accident. We're always immortal in, in the heart and mind. We are becoming a legend, a martyr, our friends and families. Don't weep and shout for us, for we're living happily in heaven. Now human beings learned a good lesson from that incident that they should be careful while flying or driving. They should always be aware as well as conscious in their life. We are immortal. We are singing together. Don't worry. We are always for living beings. We love the world and people so much. Hijackers, what do you got? Your families die, friends die, big cities and towers were destroyed, many died and many were injured. So I think the hijackers and war creators learned a good lesson, that we should love our country as well as we should give freedom to others to live happily for our love to all who became victims and injured there. Benod Dawadi, Kathmandu, Nepal. 2023. Two poems by Margaret R. Sarico. On the 12th of September. On the 12th of September, 2001, when friends flocked to synagogues, churches, mosques, and temples, I found a poetry circle, kept books of poetry by my nightstand, fell asleep to the words of Marie Howe, Billy Collins, Lucille Clifton, Sharon Olds, Stanley Kunitz, Curtis Lampkin, heroes 
that helped me limp on my spiritual journey until the topsy-turvy world we were living in reset itself. September 11th Aftermath, a haiku. Shroud of darkness lips reveals yellow leaves on tree falling, blowing, gone. Margaret Sherico. Now, we hear a piece, a musical piece. The title is 9-11. The artist is Mia. It's an original music piece from 2012. we all 
felt the loss, and no one felt the gain. Let us rise above the rain and search above the stars for the reality that shines in all our hearts. Let us smell the love of our brothers in the jets and in the buildings that collided ten years ago this time. It was circumstance that made it so, but today it is only choice that makes us free. Let us hold the umbrella over our head only to hear the raindrops and nothing but the music of the rain. Let us open our eyes to the light encompassed by the stars and the lies. No lies were lost if we start to believe that each of the buried have left behind a kind heart. Yours and mine to connect with no repetitious arguments. Your God is my God. My God is your God. Feel the raindrop on your eyelashes and feel the light in your heart. The light heart joining east and west. No religions, no color, no sex. Only hearts beating as fast as the raindrops in the form of light. With a nine and an eleven, a perfect number twenty is made. Have you noticed that it is 2011 this year? It is time to release the pain and sow the seeds of light in each other's hearts. Please listen to the hearts far away and touch those close by. Let there be only one and one, one next to one, completing the circle of becoming whole. A whole universe respecting the holiness of each one. In remembrance of 9-11, let us remember not to forget. Rain Light, one, God. That was Baraha Amidi from 2011. Shirley Fine, 9-11. 9-11, Tears Remembered, a memorial poem by Shirley Fine Lee. On 9-11, the innocent died, heroes truly tried, and the masses cried. In the aftermath, American pride, heavy weeping tides, deliberate strides. Now in the present, monuments abide, musings coincide, and still misty-eyed.
surely fine. The next poet is also a remembrance from 2013. Her name is Anne Herodine. In September of 2001, my mother was in the second month of the last year of her life. She had dementia from Parkinson's disease and mini strokes, and she had heart trouble and high blood pressure. I used to say she had everything you can think of that could be wrong with a person except cancer, although that's an exaggeration. It just felt that way to her and to me. We lived in an apartment building in downtown Brooklyn, across from the tip of lower Manhattan, and right by the edge of the BQE, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. The traffic is constant, like the ocean, but the big trucks make everything shake, and when there's a crash, or when a car drops a hubcap, and every other car runs over it, ka-thump, ka-thump, all night long, you want to kill somebody, preferably Robert Moses, except he's already dead. (laughs) I went to my part-time job on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, a home health aide would come in the afternoon, and I would use the free time to write. So on this Tuesday morning, I was at home, instead of all the way uptown at work. When the first plane hit, it sounded like a bomb. I actually felt the reverberations. And I said, God damn, BQE. I didn't even look out the window. If I had, I could have seen the plane rammed into the World Trade Center, the smoke and the flames. I could have seen it, and I didn't even look. When the second plane hit, I said, God damn, dumpsters. There's always some construction going on with all the gentrification, and they toss what sounds like entire buildings into dumpsters and I still didn't look. About an hour later, I got a call from the social worker who coordinates the home health aides. She seemed to be on some kind of acid trip. The Pentagon and the World Trade Center and something in Pennsylvania. And okay, okay, I said, whatever. I took the chance of leaving my mother alone and went up on the roof. By now, it was just a big pillar of smoke, like something out of the Old Testament. Only a couple of other people were up there on a Tuesday morning. They're collapsing, a man said. Marisol, the aide, came after all. Her morning client lived in Brooklyn, too, so she just came over to us as usual. Instead of writing, I went out and bought a cell phone, my first. Outside, the first bits of debris were landing in downtown Brooklyn, mostly office paper, reports, memos, those pink while-you-were-out memos, the detritus of a thousand offices. Back home, we saw the column of smoke bending directly toward us, an anti-rainbow, gray and black against the brightest of cloudless blue skies, its two poles, death and destruction. We kept the windows shut tight for days. The last things my mother was able to read and understand was a series of New York Times articles about the problems the firefighters had had with their radio system, communicating with the other services. Every once in a while, she would look up from the paper and say, do you mean to tell me that somebody flew an airplane into the World Trade Center on purpose? I would say yes. 
and it fell down? Yes. She never went to the window to look either. Her memory of the Manhattan skyline was from the 1950s when we moved here. So this would not have looked weird to her. Jane Austen once said of the Napoleonic Wars, how horrible it is to have so many people killed and what a blessing that one cares for none of them. That's how I was and I'm sorry. I want to acknowledge it, to say to all of the people who died and their families, I'm sorry for your loss. Anne Herodine. Now a musical piece called 9-11 by Mitsuru Miniyama. that I wrote for the occasion as we move toward the end of the program. 9-11, on the day the world caught fire. In the stillness of a September morn, the world awakened to a day of reckoning. As flames licked the sky and darkness descended, the earth trembled beneath the weight of tragedy. On the day, the world caught fire. The towers, 
once reaching for the heavens, now stood as crumbling pillars of despair. There are still frames yielding to the inferno's embrace, a haunting symbol of fragile human existence on the day the world caught fire. From the smoke and ashes emerged heroes, ordinary souls embodying extraordinary courage, running towards danger with selfless abandon, their spirits aflame with the love of unity on the day the world caught fire. Amidst the chaos, shattered lives wept, families torn asunder, dreams forever altered, yet the depths of sorrow Resilience emerged, a collective resolve to heal and rebuild. On the day the world caught fire. In the aftermath, a world united, bound by shared grief and unwavering compassion, hands clasped, hearts intertwined, transcending borders, cultures, and differences on the day that the world caught fire. Those scars remain etched upon our collective memory. We rise with an unyielding spirit, undeterred, for the light within us can never be extinguished and love will always triumph over the darkness of night. September the 11th, a day forever etched in our souls, a reminder of our capacity to endure and heal, together we stand in memory of the day the world called fire. Upon closing this podcast commemorating the 22nd anniversary of September the 11th, let us ponder the poetry that inspires, the song that lingers, and the unity that guides us. In remembrance, we honor lost lives, heroes who emerged in our shared humanity's strength. Let us always remember to unite and strive for a future of peace, understanding, and hope. Thank you for joining us on this journey of commemoration and reflection. Together we find strength and healing. May September 11th memory. Remind us all of our capacity for compassion and unity. That's our program. We keep the memory alive. We'll close with genetically.
Thank you and good night. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.